You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now... Ready, set, let the sparks fly. And today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about a recent vigil. And I didn't plan it this way, but it turned out to be a lone vigil. I was the only person that showed up after a lot of emailing and so forth. I was the only one. This was for a Christians United for Israel event, KUFI, in Tucson, Arizona. And one of the things that was significant that I felt needed to be there and, and to give a, a voice to our side was Kufi is now running around a, a man by the name of Dr. Dan Terza. Turns out he is Bibi Netanyahu's chief architect for the Israeli quote-unquote security barrier, also known by most of us as the separation slash apartheid wall in Israel that basically separates the Palestinians from Israel. It separates Palestinians from other Palestinians. It's an atrocity. Anyway, he was speaking there at a very small church in Tucson. And so I showed up with six of my signs and placed them around in front. As we do, we stand in the sidewalk on public right-of-way. And I had sent a letter about 10 days ahead of time to the pastor and to the other staff there to let them know that I was coming. And so it was, I don't know how to describe it, but I think it was worthwhile. And we'll talk to uh, Craig about this because Craig and also Chuck have done these one-man vigils. And so they're even very effective, I believe, because these vigils are not designed to be mass protests. People know we're out there. We're looking for the thinking individuals that may ask themselves, well, why is this guy or why are these few people standing out in front of my church here holding signs like, who would Jesus bomb? Blessed are the peacemakers. Choose life, not war. And with this particular church, I, uh, because of the speaker, I included our No More Wars for Israel sign. And so the interesting thing, one of the pastors came out to give me some water, and I tried to dialogue with him as a fellow follower of Christ, but I quickly found out from him that we were on opposite sides. And to me, this is a shameful thing is that, We're supposed to be brothers in Christ, but we can't even talk about these kinds of issues. And so we want to talk a little bit about that. And one thing I do want to mention, though, was kind of timely, actually, getting this notice that Kofi is sponsoring this Dan Terza, the chief architect of the Israeli separation wall, because just recently the New York Times had a front-page expose about the supposed security barrier. They basically punched holes in it. Now, they were kind of selective in what they did, but 
it's still pretty amazing. And I found out about this from a Jewish publication called Mondo Weiss, a gentleman by the name of Philip Weiss and James North wrote a little article, and we'll have links to it. It's entitled, Front Page Article in New York Times Exposes the Lie that Wall is a Security Barrier. From Mondo Weiss, quote, On the one hand, the article by James Glantz and Rami Nazi marks real progress. The Times is showing that the wall is not really a security barrier. 55,000 Palestinians legally pass through it and 30 to 60,000 illegally every day. If Palestinians really wanted to kill Israelis, the wall is no obstacle at all. And they point out that it, it actually intersects Palestinian territory, cuts off Palestinians from other Palestinians. It's away from the, the green line from 1967 when Israel took over the West Bank. And so it's really designed to, to get more land for the uh, Israelis and particularly for the illegal settlements that are in the West Bank there. And so I felt maybe my little effort there, at least this Dan Terza, knew we were there and the people knew it. Also, there was a man identifying himself with a Jewish organization that was there and claimed to know about us. And so it was was interesting that we are getting recognized anyway from other sources. So... Craig, I want to have you give a little thought on your experience with a one-man vigil. Did you think it was worthwhile? Was it effective? Hi, Tom. Yes, all the above. My favorite is the one I did, and they had uh, the security, because we we let people know that we're coming to do a vigil outside their church, and we never know until the event happens how many people are going to be there with us. And so uh, I was out there with my lonesome and a big burly uh, security guard, came out and said, because uh, he a big black shirt that says security on it, as well, how many of you are, are there going to be? And I said, well, I think you're looking at them. <laughs> so <laughs> they were they were definitely surprised. Apparently they were more fearful uh, that a big group was going to show up. But the positive things of just being the lone voice out there is that, first of all, it's not as threatening to the people coming. And because of that, I've been able to get dialogue with people. They feel less apprehensive to come out and just talk to one person as opposed to a, a big group out there that, you know, trying to run the gauntlet to find out what's going on. But it, it definitely made uh, our message more accessible to people who did have questions. And I think that is probably the most positive thing that I've experienced from the uh, the single men-men vigil. In fact, even today, I'm still in contact with a couple of people that have approached me because of these uh, one-man vigils. So uh, there's continued dialogue because of that. To me, that's the plus. It also gets our message out. And what motivates this person to be out there by themselves to carry this sign in front of a church? It's like, you know, obviously he's presenting a Christian message, but he's he's got a sign. And what does this mean? It's totally out of the norm for most churchgoers. So it obviously generates a lot of questions. If we weren't there at all, if I wasn't there or you weren't there, those questions never get asked. And so to me, that's the positive thing of just being out there. In a sense, it's kind of a billboard that people have to read before they go in. And so that, to me, Tom, is what uh, the strongest benefit of just being the one-man vigil. Well, yes, that's so true, Craig. And we'd like to point out that we're not a mass movement and numbers don't count. So it does really show the power of one. It's quite remarkable. And I went into this vigil down in Tucson 
with a little bit of trepidation because I'd never done it before, not knowing what to expect. But they knew I was there. I had one of the associate pastors offering me some water, and I tried to dialogue with him. And he didn't really want to dialogue, actually. Uh, He basically said, well, we're on different sides of the fence. And I said, well, aren't we both followers of Jesus? And, uh, well, yes, but it's very difficult a lot of times to even talk with these people. The thing that I was able to do, the speaker, who was this Dr. Dan Terza, who was the chief architect of the Israeli separation wall, what they call the security barrier, which it is not, because 30 to 60,000 illegal Palestinians go around it or through the wall every day to work in uh, Israel proper itself because the opportunities are so much better there and they, they earn a lot more money in there. So I'm glad I did it. Kind of broke the barrier and of course it's always the fear aspect of it. I was even approached by a man saying he was with the Jewish Federation of Tucson and he claimed to know all about us and he evidently had seen one of our articles by Chuck Carlson appear on somebody else's website and of course we can't control who posts our material and so it was a guilt by association thing. You're on that website so therefore you're, uh, he didn't call us an anti-Semite, but that is, is as much as what he would have said. Otherwise, I think he was stopping short. But I didn't have any significant dialogues like you did, Craig, <laughs> on the one hand. But the fact that we were there and they saw our signs, you're right. We're looking for the thinking person. And it was interesting from our last week podcast call them neo-Christians, we had an interesting response on our Facebook page. It was a very well-thought-out response and from a lady named Elizabeth Everett. And here's what she said, quote, Okay, this isn't scripture, but there's one book that I think will really help WHCT reach out to neo-Christians, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. The book points out that you can almost never get people to change their minds by arguing with them and showing them that their logic or information is flawed. Instead, you listen to them, befriend them, establish a relationship with them, and slowly feed them information and arguments so that they change their minds on their own. That's the key. They shouldn't even know that you are trying to persuade them. This is how Christian Zionism was created in the first place, misinformation was slowly leaked into the church by people who appeared to be just there to help. Well, two can play that game, and it probably works better for those who are on the side of truth and justice. Well, that's a, that's a good comment, but I don't think Elizabeth really quite understands what our purpose is that we hold these truths, and maybe you could elaborate on that, Craig. Well, that's, that always comes up. It's like, well, you know, why are you out here? There's atrocities all over the world. Uh, bad things are happening, and that's, there's no shortage of that. But uh, why we're out here is because we're kind of like the, uh, I would say, the, the alcoholic who's gone dry. I was on the other side. I was a Christian Zionist. I believed that nation of Israel was a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, that we should support them. And, yes, yes, they do nasty things, 
that they're God's chosen people, and that's a biblical mandate. So I've been on the other side, and I've seen the consequences of my support for this nation-state that is secular, it's ungodly, and it's like it's not Jesus. Once I had my epiphany, it's like I want to share that with other brothers and sisters in the Lord and say, wake up, look what's going on. And, and so to me, I have to ask the questions that I had answered, whether I was even asking the questions. And it's like, well, like, what would Jesus do? Is Jesus for stealing property? Show me in the Bible where Jesus endorsed a Jewish state. And get the people to start thinking. It's like, oh, well, I never thought about that. Oh, well, my pastor never told me about that. And it's getting people to get into the Word and to start studying books like Rob Dalrymple's book, Excellent, These Brothers of Mine. And getting books like that out into people's hands and say, okay, how can we get this message out clearer? So that's why I get motivated to do this. I was there. And so I don't want other people going down the same road of supporting ungodly activities that I did. Thank you for that comment. And not as simple as befriending people because I can give examples, even, you know, family members that who you would think that they would trust you or uh, your judgment, but that's not true, or even friends that will reject any comment. So, yeah, you do have to use the right approach, and I guess it's a question of finding out their hot button, if you will. And in your case, Trey, of course, the hot button was turned on by some Palestinian Christians that moved next to you. And so you were faced with your beliefs or at least dialoguing with these Palestinian Christians. Right. You know, we actually moved into uh, their neighborhood, and one of the pastors of the former church I went to, he says, well, you're modifying your theology based on your experiences. And, you know, it, it was my experiences that was challenging my theology. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't the other way around. And so that got me into the Word more than I had been before on this issue. So it was a great experience. And once you put faces to a situation, you're not marginalizing. It doesn't become a non-person. It becomes a person who has a soul, who has a spirit that Jesus died for him. And if you put flesh and bones on this concept, and all of a sudden you feel the compassion of Christ for people that are being victimized and abused by the Israeli state. So that's how it worked for me, and that's the kind of message I want to share. Well said, Craig. Chuck, uh, maybe you ought to comment uh, uh, your experiences uh, on lone vigils, and were they worth it? What was your experience? Yes, we found some very interesting things happen when you're alone or very nearly alone. We've had many, I suppose, where only two or three people showed up. When you're alone, you kind of get an uneasy feeling. There's no one to keep an eye on you, and you get the feeling that you're vulnerable. But the other side of it is that the people inside tend to be curious about you if you're the only one, a little more inclined to come out and talk to you. That's what one of the things we've found when we have these very slender vigils of one or two people, that uh, we, we do get people who usually come out and talk. They're not frightened of you, of course. So, yes, they are worthwhile. A big issue, of course, is the quality of the display that you make. Your signs have to speak for you, so you have to have very carefully constructed signs, which Tom has, that make points what we really want to make in two or three words. As Tom has, uh, has described them, blessed are the peacemakers, who would Jesus bomb, choose life, not war. These themes that we try to put across are very simple. They're themes of peace. They're themes of the right to life. 
of all people, not just unborn people, but the right to life of people at war, people are being entrapped in wars. And so uh, I think your message is very important. Yes, they're always valuable. You never know what's going to happen. And we find that we've had more impact than we thought many times when we've done these things. We've never had a vigil we regretted doing, as far as I know. Yes, that's great. Chuck, when we started doing this, well, it's be about 14 years that we've been doing these vigils. I really wasn't too keen on them initially, but I've seen the, the value of them as a method to educate people. I came up with a thought we needed to develop this, but after this vigil, I got thinking about this issue of not even being able to dialogue on this issue because it's so tightly held that this belief that the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And it's like these people that believe this think that Jesus is some kind of a real estate broker or a land developer and that he's particularly given the land to the present-day Israeli Jews who have no way of proving that they were even connected to Abraham some 3,000 years ago. And so they've substituted the main thing uh, about Jesus, or one of his main teachings is, blessed are the peacemakers and love your neighbor as yourself. So they kind of actually put those concepts on the back burner and this idea that they're supporting a Jesus that grabs land, the concept that may be a little strange, but when we deal with Christian Zionists, it's a very difficult thing for Christian Zionists to come out of deception that they're under. And I think it's important to recognize that people do come out of these deceptions and realize that they are being detrimental to Christianity. The often quoted expression, I don't know if it's true or not, by Mahat Gandhi saying that he liked Christ, but he had a problem with Christians because they weren't like Christ. And so that does turn people off that are not Christians when they see these kind of behaviors. And so our duty, I think, is to try to set an example and get people to think about the issue. And uh, Well, uh, we should also add that uh, a church does not have to be entertaining a madman fanatic like John Hagee with his far-out notions of Zionism that actually involves placing the state of Israel ahead of even God himself, I suppose. All of us have come through churches that are influenced by Christian Zionism. The Southern Baptist Convention is probably the largest influenced body in America that is consistently, in probably 80% of their churches at least, teaches this notion of Israel's authority and supremacy. They would simply not consider discussing Israel as a world pirate war maker or as a suppressor of the innocent operator of gulags. They couldn't bring themselves to discuss that because they have granted such a high place in their worship for Israel. Whether Israel is mentioned on any given day in any sermon in any Baptist church doesn't matter because within their theology, they have ingrained in this notion that Abraham granted the land to Israel. And since 1948, 
since Israel became a state there in the Holy Land, then they simply have to recognize that. And sort of one of those negative things where in most of these churches, they don't say too much about it unless something comes up. And if you raise the issue, then you're going to raise their hackle and you will get flack from them right within the churches. And so we have perhaps 50% of the uh, meeting churches that meet weekly that actually have some notion of Zionism built into it, especially the very large evangelical churches. So it's, it's a very broad movement that involves many, many churches. And then through certain Bible studies, there are two great big ones that have huge followings and make a very big business out of selling Bible study material. And these churches organize Bible studies not only, only in people's homes, but also in churches themselves that are not conducting their own Bible study on Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Friday night. And uh, they simply borrow church facilities and conduct Bible studies there. And these, these large Bible study groups are uh, very much Christian Zionist in the nature of what they teach. So we have a really big movement. And uh, listeners, if some of you decide you would like to do a vigil at your church or someone else's church that you know of, I would be happy to help you get it set up, try to find someone to go with you, even if you're in a place where we're not. And so we invite readers and listeners who hear about this and who feel the need to challenge some church they know about to get in touch with us, and, and we'll certainly try to help. And uh, even if you end up being alone, and I remember a lady in Washington, D.C. called, wanted to do a vigil. Uh, she wanted to do it the next week because some big event was going on. We shipped her a couple of signs, as I recall, and uh, we called everybody we knew in Washington, D.C., which wasn't too many at the time. She ended up going out all by herself, and she had never done this before, and she conducted a vigil all by herself, very brave lady, in a big Washington, D.C. church. So she felt very good about it. Her name is Dory Southern. Well, thanks, Chuck. And I guess the final take-home is, we're looking for a few good lone rangers out there that feel a need to conduct one of these vigils to expose people to these issues that are so vitally important for the kingdom of Jesus. We can provide the signs and we can provide all you need to know to do it. You don't have to you don't have to know a lot. You don't have to be a theologian to do it. You just need to be a little bit nervy and uh, maybe find a friend or two. We can help you with all the details that go into it, even what to say to people and uh, what to say to the church in advance. And we take care of the publicity part of it. We, we send out the notices to churches and things like that. That's what we're looking for, a few inquiring minds on important issues like this. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small think big, and press on towards the straight gate.